Oh yes indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like why is Donkey Kong called Donkey Kong when he's actually a monkey? And can mute people actually burp? Hi America, hello world. My name is Adrian Lee and I'm your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting or for making me laugh or shiver in horror. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and retrobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of this would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. And we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let me introduce tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and evanescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather is currently trying to work out if stairs actually go up or down. Welcome to tonight's show, Heather. Bueno. Wow, we're going through a whole selection of hellos, aren't we, in different languages. Rest assured that in the next three or four episodes, you will be struggling to find any. Let us also introduce the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society, Kim is in the process of designing and making coffins with a lifetime guarantee. How is that working out for you? (laughs) I haven't had any claims on them yet. Do coffins have a lifetime guarantee? I mean, I throw that out there as a joke, but it's odd to have a lifetime guarantee when... Well, they don't have to last very long. This is true. And of course, a lifetime, if you've just buried a dead person, is actually a non-existent length of time, isn't it, in many respects? There are indeed more questions than answers. Also on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. 
actually after the comments that was made at the end of uh, the show we did on our Valentine's special, I'm I'm amazed you're in the same room facing each other. Actually, <laughs> if anyone's unsure as to what I'm talking about, you need to listen to the last ten minutes of episode thirteen, which was our Valentine's Day special. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than our outside broadcast department. He's also our producer and sound mixer. Greg has been working all week on a franchise of Hooters that does door-to-door deliveries, and he's calling it <laughs> Knockers. Oh. Welcome to tonight's show, Greg. <laughs> we also welcome for the first time Lorna Hunter. She was the state director for Minnesota MUFON for many years and is the founder of the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group. Based in Wake Park, Lorna knows more about UFOs than any other person I have ever met. Lorna once discovered that if sky is the limit, then all UFOs in space must be over the limit. She's also a valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Welcome to the show, Lorna. Hello. You do know what you're letting yourself in for, don't you? You have listened to these shows. Yes, I have. I'm very scared. Okay, and so should be. I was just asking, <laughs> not many people volunteer, so I'm glad that you're here tonight. And this also I've means... volunteered. <laughs> well i've still got the photographs of you and the current state director of MUFON, so uh this is why we're here <laughs> one of the things i've done is actually have columns in front of me i know this show sounds very unprofessional but in actual fact i have a pad in front of me and i write down the scores and uh it was only towards the last few minutes as i was introducing everyone that i wrote your name at the end of those columns for points so you could well have gone through the entire show without collating any points and that would be a terrible terrible thing let me start by discussing the fact that last week we on air spoke about the fact that we went to a barn very locally it was a haunted barn and the farmer was very unhappy and uh, i'm not going to go through the whole story again but all of my team was there and uh, we came across some energies and some spirits and i discussed live on air last week uh, amongst our team and uh, including yourselves of course some of the recordings that we got in that barn and I said if we had the technology then we would play them for you in tonight's show well Greg has been slaving away for literally uh, minutes actually and uh, what I've got for you is a series of recordings that I want you to listen to now just to set this up before we play them we went into the barn we had our digital voice recorders out and uh, before we started investigating I started to run a ghost box or a shack hack as it's called And for those of you familiar with that particular device, what you're going to be hearing when we play these sound bites is that you're going to hear a clicking noise. And that's the ghost box scanning all of the AM frequencies and stations. So every click you hear very quickly is the scanning between radio stations. So what makes these particular um, audio recordings impressive is that the amount of time spent on that audio recording surpasses the amount of channels it goes through. So normally on a shack hack or a ghost box, you might get words spat out from various radio stations. On these particular recordings, you hear the voice coming through, almost like a meta-narrative behind the white noise. So that's what impresses me about these. So we're in the barn. The barn's very haunted. We have a lot of activity. We have orbs presenting themselves that we can see with our own eyes that we've captured on video footage. I'm going to play for you now and uh, Greg's the person in charge of this. He's our expert. What I'm going to play for you first, you're going to hear the shack hack basically going dead, 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 dead in the background. And then you're going to hear a spirit counting down. And the spirit says three, 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 two, one. 
And this isn't any member of our team, and this is a disembodied voice. So with the power of modern technology, I shall now hand you over to Greg, who's now going to play that soundbite for us. So I'm hoping you heard that. So I'll play that again for you, but what you're listening for is a spirit counting down. It's going three, 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 two, one. So again, if you could uh, if you could put that in place for us, Greg. There, just listen for that again. It's on in the background. So that is that's what you're getting there in terms of a disembodied voice going, if you like, over the top of the clicking. The next one we're going to play you is much more difficult to hear. In fact, Heather on our team has listened to this particular clip more times than I care to remember, and uh, she can't actually hear it. So members of my team can't actually hear this clip but uh greg myself kim have heard it through the headphones so you're really going to have to strain to hear this but the reason i'm including it is because we were actually on native american land going back to the 19th century and what you're going to get is chanting taking place in the background so imagine a native american dance some sort of religious uh, festival perhaps or, or some sort of religious rite and you're going to hear a laugh to start with then after the laugh, very faintly in the distance, and you may want to plug headphones in and turn up the volume on your laptop or your computer or your phone, wherever you are listening, because we're available on iTunes, of course. So I'm going to play this several times, and don't worry if you can't hear it, because there are members of my team that, despite various listenings, um, haven't actually heard this themselves. But I will play this for you. So after the laugh, you're listening for what sounds like Native American chanting. So a very short clip. I will play that two more times. You have the laugh, which is, again, isn't one of our team that's come through as almost like rubbish um, from the radio in many respects. But just listen half to the laugh. There's there's chanting. So let's just listen to that one more time. And even with our studio equipment and my headphones on and everything here, state of the art, that is so faint in the background i'll just play it once more and then we'll move on to the show so listen again after the laughter you're listening for what sounds like native american chanting it almost goes hi kind of scenario so there we go and you still can't hear that heather despite all of that maybe maybe you're not sure now i'm not sure now i would like to say one thing about the original um the original uh, clip that you were playing, the three, 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 two, one. Yes. If people are struggling to hear that, the thing is, you're not going to be listening to a voice. What you need to be listening for is actually a whisper. It's going to be a little forced whisper hidden behind everything. And of course, you've now got the ability, if you're listening to this on iTunes or you're listening to this on your laptop, then obviously you can go back and keep playing it over and over. I'm not going to use up the show sure. by having... Uh, you know, replaying the same the same clip but i thought that was very interesting we promised that last week and uh, this is what we do at the international paranormal society and we picked what we thought was uh, two of the better ones there although there was actually many many um, audio recordings coming through there greg wasn't there we had quite a lot that day yeah i think we had in an hour we had about 40 so a uh, very chatty on that particular occasion i have spent many hours sat in cold damp dark basements which is obviously a lifestyle decision without very much happening but on this occasion we couldn't keep them quiet they were very very chatty and i'm happy to share that with you 
You can contact me at any time during the week or tonight's show in several ways. Firstly, you can send me messages and post comments on my Facebook wall. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can visit intparanormal.net. Or you can send an email to mqta at rocketmail.com. Let me know what you think of those. And if you hear anything different to us, I would love to hear from you. We are going to rush into the first round of tonight's show, which as always is on the theme of ghosts and hauntings. So I'm going to start this with a headline that reads, Church clock maintained by a dedicated doctor every week for 30 years stopped the very moment he passed away. Ooh, ghostly sounds. A church clock maintained by a devoted doctor for almost 30 years stopped at the very moment he passed away. Dr. John Farrier climbed the narrow stone spiralled stairs of St. James's Church Clock Tower in Clapham, North Yorkshire, every week for three decades. Then he died, unfortunately, at his home, aged 92, surrounded by his family. The man's son, also Dr. Farrier, glanced at his watch as his father slipped away and later realised the church clock also stopped at exactly the same time. Dr. Farris said the clock stopped literally to the minute of Dad's death. As a family doctor, I'm used to looking at my watch because sometimes it can be critical for the death certificate. It was just a habit that I did, and uh, I knew the exact moment he was going to die, I looked at my watch. He was having palliative treatment, but I realised he had stopped breathing, and I read the time on my watch as 8.15 a.m. It was only later when I spoke to two different people in the village that we realised the clock had stopped at the very same time. Something strange was certainly going on, said Dr. Farrer, but it's quite a nice touch when we think of all the time Father devoted to it. He had maintained it for over 30 years, but it eventually became too much for him, and he reluctantly had to hand over responsibility. The clock was restarted following Dr. Farrier's funeral, where he was remembered for his dedication to the village as well as his medical career. One of the things I find very bizarre in this country, obviously there's clocks in Britain in clock towers and they make a bonging noise every hour, every half an hour. What I find very bizarre, and Butterfield springs to mind, which is a small town in the southwest corner of Minnesota, the first night I spent in Butterfield, I could not believe that a whistle goes off at various times of the day. And I don't know how common this is in Minnesotan towns or in the Midwest. This is something I've never heard of anywhere else in the world. So at nine o'clock, a whistle goes off. And then at 12 o'clock, another whistle goes off. And then at six o'clock or five, I think it may have been, another whistle goes off. This is like communist Russia. You need to stay up later. Then there's another one at 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) Is there really? Because that's the time you need to go to bed. That's what time all children should be at home in bed, yes. This drives me insane. I would go out of my way as an Aries and a recidivist to actually say, I'm not going to have my dinner when the whistle goes. I'm going to have it 10 minutes <laughs> after the whistle. I am determined not to go to bed when the whistle goes. I will be in bed half an hour after the whistle just because I wouldn't want to conform. This is what they do in communist Russia. This is how they control people. Would it drive you insane? To have a whistle going off four times a day to tell you when you're supposed to have lunch, to tell you when you're supposed to go to bed. Oh, the whistle's gone off. I better go and have a crap. I find it remarkable. (laughs) And the same thing with the clock going off. Am I the only person? Is this because I'm foreign? As a mother, I loved it. I could tell the kids you can go and play until you hear the whistle. Really? Yeah. What, the 10 o'clock whistle? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just stay out all night. Come back when the 9 o'clock whistle goes off in the morning. 
Have you any idea what I'm talking about, Heather? You're looking at me as if I'm mental. I'm still picturing every time you hear a whistle, you're crap. Yes, it's stimulus and response. It's like Pavlov's dog. The next time I'm live on air, if someone blows a whistle, I've got problems. That you may, haven't got a whistle. Maybe the seven thirty whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, some of us. I, I mean, I go to the toilet regularly, um, eight o'clock every morning, like clockwork. But uh, the trouble oh, is, I don't great. get up till twenty past eight, so that causes all kinds of issues. I'm surprised Greg isn't actually on his uh, soundboard there trying to find the sound of a whistle because uh, at at that point, I'd have to get up and uh, you'd lose me for two minutes while I visited the restroom. It takes longer than two minutes, don't lie. <laughs> it depends <laughs> if I take tools in with me. I like the fact that all the food in this country comes on a stick because I can take the stick in with me. The only country I've ever been to where f- tools come with your food. Re- so what did that gentleman die from then? He died of old age at 92, but he looked after that clock for 30-odd years, wound it religiously. Weak and ticker, the very, huh? The, oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Heather starts the show on minus three. <laughs> I like the way that story was ten minutes ago and you've been sat there ruminating thinking there must be a joke in there somewhere to do with clocks. Scorpio. Scorpio, I see where you are. The trouble with Scorpios is that you could Don't. say say something to them and they'll remember it and they'll log it away. And then three years later, you know, you'll be walking through the house. And they'll hit you over the head with a golf club and knock you unconscious. And you'll be coming round and you'll be saying, what the bloody hell was that for? And they'll say, well, three years ago, you said this. So if anyone's out there and they have a Scorpio that's a friend of theirs or a colleague, you will know fully what I'm talking about. But you shall receive minus three. So, Heather, you're sat there smiling and uh, full of the joys of spring, which is uh, sprung today with the nice warm weather. I never thought I'd ever be in a country where I'd be celebrating the day that we're two degrees over freezing. (laughs) Quite remarkable. I nearly got my shorts on. What have you got for me in terms of hauntings and ghosts? Well, I have a suspected ghost caught on camera at Britain's fourth oldest pub. The fourth oldest pub. Yeah, wouldn't you, if you owned that, wouldn't you go and burn down the other three? <laughs> oh this is in Bolton, England. Oh, Christ, don't go there. You'll lose your wallet and the wheels of your car. <laughs> Workers at a British pub dating back to 1251 said they captured on CCTV footage of a shadowy figure they suspect of being a paranormal in nature. Uh, Tony Dooley, manager of Ye Old Man and Scythe in Bolton, England. Said the Old Man? It's called Ye Old Man. The pub's The Old Man. So you're, you're going to The Old Man for a drink. And Scythe. Scythe. The Old yes. Man and the Scythe. Yes, but it doesn't say end the. My dad once had a terrible accident because he thought it was a good idea to cut his toenails with a scythe. So that's The Old Man and the Scythe. And uh, he can't wear sandals anymore, but that's another story. <laughs> Um, anyway, he said that he was checking the cameras Friday morning at the country's fourth oldest pub when he discovered they had stopped working at around 6.18 a.m. And there was broken glass on the floor, the Manchester Evening News reported on Monday. I came down and saw glass smashed on the floor, so I was instantly suspicious and went to check CCTV and found it was it had stopped working, he said. We checked the footage, and it revealed this figure... To be honest, I was a bit concerned. I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to ghosts, but you become more of a believer when you see things like that. The most famous of ghost rumors to haunt the pub is the 7th Earl of Derby, James Stanley, a descendant of the inn's original owners who was beheaded in 1651. 
there there have always been rumors that it has been haunted and we've had psychic readings done here in the past occasionally you hear things and wonder if it's just the building settling down or whether it's something else it's the fourth oldest pub in great britain so it's had its fair share of deaths and whatnot Wow. Have you actually seen the footage? What is it look I like? I haven't seen the footage. They didn't post it, but I may go look for it. That is bizarre that they would have the story and not the footage. Pubs are, of course, very haunted in Britain. People lived in them, of course. The pub in my local village dated back to the 16th century. And it's a very important town that I lived in, in terms of the English Civil War that took place in the 1630s, 1650s. And the English Civil War was a terrible war. One in three people died in that particular conflict, especially in Ireland was incredible but uh, all the generals met in that pub which is called the white heart and uh, before they went off to battle they put graffiti on the wall and signed their names so this is fabulous pub and above the fireplace there's all the signatures of the generals that went into that battle and of course some of them never made it but that dates back from the 1650s and uh, that's quite remarkable we have a lot of history of course in britain there was also a pub quite close to where my parents live called the good intent and my parents live in a place called hornchurch in east london and hornchurch was very famous because it was a spitfire base during the second world war so my bedroom growing up was actually hit by a bomb during the second world war and completely demolished and my bedroom was almost rebuilt if you like so i, I lived in the the part of the house was, was the newest um, in actual fact and my next door neighbors at the time when i was a child were very elderly and they'd lived in that house all their life. And they said they saw Messerschmitts flying over, you know, to do to, to support the, the German bombers as interceptors, if you like. And uh, one of the Messerschmitts pilots flew back so low over her house next door to ours that she was hanging out or washing. And he waved to her. And it's just a stimulus and response. She waved back. It's just very odd that a German Messerschmitt pilot was flying so low. He waved to the woman, putting her washing out. And she waved back to him. But they used to drink in the pub called The Good Intent. And of course, if there was an air raid or if some bombers suddenly came over London, they were scrambled to try and bring down the bombers. So this Spitfire squadron was based on the airfield there. And there was one occasion where there was a pilot who ordered a drink, a pint of beer, and drank half of it. And they were scrambled to go up in their Spitfires and he never came back. And on the day that he died and never came back, the landlord of the pub has to leave half a pint of beer on the table when he closes up at night. And when he comes back in the morning, the beer's gone. It's drunk. And there was one occasion when he forgot to do it and he came back downstairs and the whole of the bar was wrecked. There was chairs upturned, glasses broken. And I just thought that was a really cool story. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. I shall give you points. I shall give you four which now places you on a hefty one. I'm winning. No, you're not, because I got two for my story. But you're in second place, <laughs> partly because no one else has had a chance to get in yet. Kim, what have you got for us tonight in terms of ghosts and hauntings? I have a thousand unmarked bodies found buried below University of Mississippi. Burial sites found on a college campus have created a potential nightmare for administrators. While surveying land for a new parking lot at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, officials made a grisly discovery. More than a thousand bodies thought to have been patients at the old Mississippi State Lunatic Asylum. The unnamed century-old graves present a problem for the university whose expansion plans could be halted over the cost of relocating the bodies. It's possible there could be more unmarked graves belonging to, belonging to tuberculosis patients, former slaves, or even Civil War dead. 
Experts think that future additions to the medical center and other buildings on campus will have to be reconsidered. I'm under the impression, and I could be wrong, perhaps Lorna can help me out with this as well, is the fact that if you find a grave full of TB patients' consumption, I think that if you reopen that, there's the possibility that that particular disease is dormant and then you then can have a reinfection if you like because I know there's some that do that but uh, in Britain if you go to London London's very famous for having lots of green squares everywhere Barclay Square and a nightingale sang in Barclay Square I'll give myself a point for that. Oh, minus? Um, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Bearing in mind I'm doing the scores, Kim. Perhaps you might not be the way. And no high fives either. <laughs> Anyone hearing slapping sounds in the background? There was actually a high five took place there between uh, Kim and Heather, who will find themselves in negative points very shortly. But the point is that during the Great Plague, when uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Europeans died due to uh, bubonic plague and fleas carried by rats... Um, in 1665, 1666 in London, the plague was so extensive that they didn't have enough room to bury all the bodies. So what they did was they g- dug great big pits and just threw the bodies in. And of course, after the event, um, you're then not building on those particular plague pits. So geographically, one of the reasons London has so many nice green squares to walk around, and you know, I've actually sat in many of these squares, like Sloan Square, for example, and I've sat there with my sandwiches on a park bench and watched the pigeons and enjoyed the peace and quiet and the greenery. And the middle of the biggest capital city in Europe is basically down to the fact you're sitting on a plague pit and they oh. can't do anything with it and they can't dig it up and they can't build on it. So I know that these things are very uh, intrinsic to, to how cities um, evolve in many respects, I guess. But that's quite disturbing. A thousand, did it say? A thousand bodies? At least a thousand. Can you imagine the paranormal activity if you started a build on a th- on a site where there's a thousand bodies? That's almost like poltergeist, isn't it? They're not going to build a swimming pool, are they? That could be quite disturbing. But uh, yeah, there's points to be had all around. I know that the St. James Hotel in Red Wing in Minnesota, when they were digging the basement out of that particular building in the 1880s to build the hotel there, they actually found a Native American burial site and there were several bodies dug out of that basement and then uh, they probably got thrown in the lake at the time but uh, a lot of the activity in that hotel and the hauntings and the ghosts that are seen there are believed to be the native americans that were in fact dug out of their resting place to build the basement of that hotel there's points to be had all round i shall give you a resplendent three now lorna you've got a lot to live up to here because as it stands there's points being had all round. So what have you got for me tonight as the novice and the first timer on more questions than answers? I have family swapped their haunted house in Cardiff after ghost terror. This is in Wales, isn't it? Is Cardiff in Wales there? I don't know. You're the Englishman. Yes, but this is in Wales. They're two different countries. <laughs> we're not All right. We're not very welcome in Cardiff, actually. It's hard the, to tell the difference between small islands sometimes. Oh, here we go. I see. In with the racism. <laughs> Kim, you had... No, no, no. No high fives. If, there's no high fives for that. That's terrible. I am fully aware that England is, in fact, the size of New Hampshire. And uh, I'm even more amazed that we've managed to win a medal in the uh, olympics bearing in mind we don't have any snow or any mountains is quite remarkable we got a bronze medal in the half pipe women's um snowboarding event a bronze of all things but that's the first alpine medal britain has ever won 
So uh, when I look at countries like Norway and Finland and Denmark and Switzerland and Austria, with an abundance of mountains and snow, uh, where are you? We don't have any snow or any mountains and we're still beating you. So this is where we are. Cardiff, I do apologise, Lorna, we're in Cardiff, the capital of Wales. Okay, are we back now? I'm sorry, yeah. (laughs) You're now a minus two. (laughs) I can't high-five her from here. (laughs) All right. Family swapped their haunted house in Cardiff after ghost terror. That's Cardiff in Wales, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Kim, I believe you're Welsh. You've got Welsh blood, haven't you? So there'll probably be a fight before the end of the show's out. (laughs) My apologies, Lorna. I promise not to interrupt any more. I truly do. Go for it. Are you sure? I'm positive. You go for it. (laughs) I promise not to interrupt any (laughs) more. Not once. Not at all. Not anymore. Won't be interrupting any point during your story. Promise. (laughs) Good one, Greg. Have I just been muted? Yes. Wow, this is a mutiny. Live on air. Mutiny. Greg's on minus five. (laughs) See how that works. Lorna, it's all to play for. Go for it. Are you there? Where are you? Sorry. You're I'm laughing. laughing now. I'm <laughs> laughing now and I can't read. You didn't go to the toilet, did you? I don't remember a whistle going off. No, only I could hear that. Okay. You, the, the floor is yours. Lisa Wade claims to see faces at the windows and floating limbs in her mid-terrace home. Family even brought in a vicar being drafted in to perform an exorcism. A terrified family have swapped a house amongst themselves because they fear it is haunted. And the hot potato house is still showing signs of a paranormal presence, despite her vicar being drafted in to perform an exorcism. Lisa Way, 38, first detected an eerie presence in September of 2011. She claimed to see faces at the windows and floating limbs in her mid-terraced home on Eli's Marcross Road. She said at the time, I saw a white light flash by the door. We started taking pictures with our camera phones and the strangest things started showing up. Arms coming around doors, leggings cu- legs coming down the stairs. At the time, Miss Way said she was desperate to leave, but claimed the council refused to help. However, last year, her cousin, Kirsty Persigo, 27, who lived opposite in a slightly smaller house, needed an extra bedroom. So the pair agreed to trade. And though the level of paranormal activity has subsided since Miss Persigo and her family took the plunge and moved into the alleged haunted property, it hasn't abated. She said, no, it's been quiet since we moved in last year. It's probably out for her, not us. But their apparitions have developed a taste for late-night viewing. The family television has developed a habit of turning itself on, say the family. Despite the occasional unwanted TV switch-on and warnings of lurking bad omens in the house, Miss Persigo was relaxed about unwanted spiritual guests when Lisa suggested a swap. Kirsty said, it doesn't bother me unless something happened to the kids. I know there's nothing there anyway. Kids don't want to be scared, like even my daughter. She's not bothered. She knows about it. She was over here as well when we saw the arm on the stairs. She enjoyed it. She loved it. And my youngest is one, so he doesn't know anyway. My partner said he can't feel anything in there, but I like it. I watch all those programs on the television. Lisa had the priest from church come up and do all the blessings. But did the churchman's work make a difference? Kirsty said to her, no. I feel more more calm in here now. I don't feel threatened by anything. As long as my kids are all right, it doesn't matter. And despite their elaborate plan, Lisa insists the spirits have followed her over the road, but only that of her grandmother. She said, my mom, my nan's over here with me, but we're not scared anymore. Even if they do follow me, I don't care. I realized I have a gift for seeing dead people. I've got used to the fact that I'm always going to see and feel them. 
It's very interesting, isn't it, that you could be haunted by your grandmother because you could be lying in bed and all of a sudden there's like a really bristly kiss and you wake up in a big bed full of pulled taffy. You got bristly kisses from your grandmother? Yes, and that's not from my beard. <laughs> no, my uh, my mother takes after my mother takes after my uh, grandmother, and she's got she's got a beard as well, I guess. Oh no! I um, it's very interesting what you said there about spirits and ghosts following you because we have done investigations in buildings that have allegedly been very active and very haunted and we go in there and of course the people that own the building or live in the building leave us to our own devices and nothing ever happens and there was one occasion in Minneapolis where I did an investigation and the gentleman in question was a a veteran of the Iraq war and he told me that he had killed a number of Iraqis I believe he was a sniper And he said he had so much paranormal activity in that house. There was holes punched in the walls. He had scratch marks across his body that we'd taken photographs of. And uh, he went out for the evening while he basically gave us his property to investigate. And for the three to four hours we were there, we did not get anything. Now, normally something happens. You get a flicker of a K2 meter. You might hear some voices. The shakak might throw a few things up. Our thermal imaging cameras might pick up one or two bits we got nothing and uh, I was under the impression that it was following him so when he left the building and left us to our own devices it went with him and when he came back it came back with him so I can believe that to be true but Wales of course has a history of hauntings it's a very old country of course and is Celtic and Gaelic in nature so that doesn't surprise me who would want a ghostly figure can you imagine if you're in bed and a ghostly uh, figure appears at the window be a terrible terrible thing has anyone ever seen any figures appear at the window i'm reminded of a far side cartoon my favorite far side cartoon is a mother who's tucking the little boy into bed on the second floor of a house and telling the little boy that ghosts don't exist and dad's outside with the balloon just about to put it up against the window on a string that's got this terrible terrible horror face drawn onto it with a sharpie and that just used to make me laugh i thought that was very dark and very funny does anyone want to add to anything to do with our ghosts and haunted rounds? Otherwise, I shall come to the scores. Well, we're tied for the lead. Kim, myself and Lorna have a resplendent three. Heather is on one. Greg is on minus five <laughs> for muting me on my very own show. So uh, this is what happened when you, you delegate power. It gets abused, obviously. We move to the round that is cryptozoology, UFOs, all green men and hairy beasties heather would you like to start this particular round off you are on one point so everything is to play for i'm a dwarf and i forgot my license well that's possible i guess it's got my pertinence on it (laughs) (laughs) say that once more go on it's got my pertinence on it pertinence you shall you shall be back up to three because i quite like that little pig he's very cute (laughs) 10 year old says after crashing his parents car the boy told the snowplow driver that he was a dwarf and that he had forgotten his driver's license at home, the police spokesman says. This was in Dhaka, Norway. After stealing his parents' car from Dhaka, Norway with his 18-month-old sister in tow, a 10-year-old boy attempted to drive to his grandparents' house about 68 miles away and ended up in a snowy ditch six miles from home. When a snowplow driver arrived... And tried to help, the little kid came up with a big story. The boy told the snowplow driver that he was a dwarf and that he had forgotten his driver's license at home, Bard Christensen said. The snowplow driver called the police and they informed the boy's parents about what had happened. 
The parents woke up and discovered that the children were missing and that someone had taken off with their car, Christensen said. They were pretty upset, as you can well imagine. We have talked to them, and I'm pretty sure they're going to pay very close attention to both their children and to their car keys in the future. You'd have to say that was a fairly tall story. (laughs) Minus points. Thank you. Minus points. Kim's laughing. On the back of that, I'm giving myself two. That's five I'm now on. Did you say his name was Christensen? As in like Hans Christian Anderson? Yeah, yeah. Bard was was actually the the spokesman. I quite like the Hans Christian Anderson story. My, My wedding was a fairy tale wedding. It was grim. (laughs) Um, (laughs) no that was your marriage (laughs) i um one of the things that happened to me once is i was driving through london and uh unfortunately i I came into a collision with another car and a dwarf came out of that car and was really really unhappy he was shaking his fist and as i got out of the car he came towards me looking very angry and he said i'm not happy and I said, well, which no, one are you no, then? No, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. <laughs> Points to be had. All round. What have you got for me tonight, Kim, on cryptozoology? Did I not get any? I'm just wondering how your dwarf story falls into UFOs and cryptozoology. It's a dwarf. <laughs> so if I see a dwarf or a person of limited stature walking down the high street, I can... What was that? <laughs> I'm just. It depends how hairy See, it, it is. leaves you speechless, doesn't it? It does leave me speechless. How's that a big foot? If anything, it's a small it's a foot. Little foot. That's right. We're after a small foot. Yes. That reminds me of your wedding. It never reached a foot. <laughs> I'm afraid not- to tell you the title of mine. <laughs> Try us. World War II pilot says gremlins are real. Well, there you go. I believe it. Jonesboro, Arkansas. A man who says he was a Boeing B-17 pilot during World War II contends that many of the plane failures which occurred during that time period were due to the mischievous actions of little creatures. L.W. (laughs) Sorry, my mind's gone into other places now. Save it for the last half. I will do, yes. I'll save it for the last half. (laughs) Uh, He's 92 now, says these little beings were capable of attaching themselves to the fuselage and withstand high altitudes. Oh, they are real all right. They'd climb inside the aircraft and hide in there or hook up under the wings. I'm sure they were sabotaging most of the Allies' machinery. I was a B-17 pilot. We were all young. I was 22 years old, and I was a flight commander. So I am very aware of my surroundings, and as I go higher, I notice an unusual sound coming from the engine. The instruments went nuts. I look at my right and I see an entity staring at me. Then I look at the aircraft's nose and there it is, another one, hanging in there, dancing lizards. <laughs> I was perfectly fine. My senses were in good shape, but the weird things were still there looking at me. They kept going at it, pounding the plane with all their might. L.W. says the creatures were three foot tall and had a hairless gray skin. The eyes were of a deep red color, and their mouths were so big he could almost count their teeth. That's the night shift at Folds, isn't it? <laughs> Walmart. I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ears were long and pointy, with a small black patch of hair growing on the tips that reminded the witness of an owl's ear. L.W. couldn't believe what he had seen, so when he went back to the base, he tried to keep the incident a secret. Well, I had to tell my best friend, a young kid named Leroy, he was a gunner. 
Oh, he believed me. He said he had seen something similar a few days earlier during a training exercise, but that he was afraid to tell an officer about it for fears of being sent back to the U.S. We wanted to fight. We didn't want to be the ones coming back empty-handed, you know. At first, he says he believed what he saw was some sort of soldier development by the Japanese. But then, years later, in 1947, he came to a different conclusion. One day I read the news about a strange aircraft crashing in Roswell, New Mexico. So I say, what the hell? That's the same people that got on my plane. Now that now they are trying to attack our country too? I thought that if they were capable of building this type of advanced technology, oh boy, we are done. Who knows what else they can do? Creatures of similar nature caused a controversy in Kentucky in 1955 in what has come to be known as the Kelly-Hopkinsville Encounter. Two families in a farmhouse were reportedly terrorized by little goblin-like entities and strange weather phenomena. One of the things I find interesting is it sounds like they're hitchhiking, so they're probably under the age they can drive, and then when Roswell comes along, <laughs> they, they have their own vehicle, of course. Um, stress of war does a lot of things, doesn't it? It's uh, amazing the things you see under the stress of war. My great-granddad... He used to tell stories to my granddad when he was a little boy about fighting in the trenches in the First World War in France and looking up and seeing Jesus standing above him in the trenches. And he never told anyone that story for the longest time. And he was frightened of saying it in case he was, you know, he looked stupid or people thought he was mad. But, you know, in in, uh, moments of uh, drunkenness, if you like, at Christmas, you know, my great granddad was tell his children about how he saw Jesus in the trenches during the Second World War, and he genuinely believed that. So uh, there are the stresses of war involved in that. Lorna, as a, as a UFO and a, a ufologist person, do you recall stories being told to you of goblins and strange creatures with large ears running around? Well, the Kelly Hopkinville incident is the classic one of the goblin-looking creatures, but this is the first time I've heard them called goblins in World War II. Normally, it was just the balls of light they called Foo Fighters. That's right. They must be clinging on pretty tight, because those um, planes are actually a very high altitude, aren't they? And uh, there's not going to be any air up there, and the temperatures are going to be below freezing. So they must be hardy little chaps, I would suggest. But then again, if you look at any planets in our solar system, you'd have to be pretty hardy to be able to survive any of those things. This is a very similar story that I've got here today, actually, in terms of radar and UFOs. It says a strange S-shaped radar phenomena peers off the Australian coast. There you go. There's the beep. I can see it now going through the air. A strange S-shaped formation. You can almost be in the room, can't you? A strange S-shaped... I think we've got the point. Is there a loop you can put on that? Greg, help me. What are you doing, man? There we go. A strange S- <laughs> The only thing he's got to do is to press a button, you know? A strange S-shaped formation, which appeared on a weather bureau radar off the Western Australian coast, was not caused by a cloud, the bureau says. The shape was spotted on the weather bureau's radar map on Wednesday, about 30 kilometres west of Rottnest. After checking the satellite, the bureau's Neil Bennett ruled out the phenomenon being caused by a cloud. There's no cloud, there's nothing to produce a rain echo, which we do see a lot, but this is not the particular shape of one. They do not make S-shapes and things like that. Things like that would be a number five, wouldn't it? Because if it's an S-shape and he says things like that, I wonder if that's a five and not an S. The Department of Defence were also asked whether there were military operations taking place off the coast that may interfere with radar activity, but the department is yet to comment. 
I look at something like this and think perhaps the Earth is being used as a place for aliens to post messages to each other, like post-it notes. So us humans have spent millennia trying to work out the meaning of life and why we're here, and it turns out all along that we're a fridge door, and the yes was just the start of a giant message that read six eggs, milk, and toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What have you got for us in UFOs, cryptozoology, Lorna, for this particular round? It's what I don't have in UFOs and cryptozoology. Concern after no 2013 Loch Ness Monster sightings. The Loch Ness Monster has disappeared with no confirmed sightings of the legendary creature being recorded in 2013. It's the first time in almost 90 years when the monster has failed to make an appearance. Kevin Carlyon, the high priest of white witches in the UK, has claimed he's placed a spell on the lock to protect Nessie from exploitation of fraudsters, I bet the explaining tour- her non-appearance. I bet the tourists are really happy with that. I, I bet all the, all the little uh, guest houses and all the shops up there that sell little, sell little stuffed toys of the Loch Ness Monster and games and all sorts of things are really pleased he did that, aren't they? I bet he's top of their list for a Christmas card this year. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Which is why he says... I personally believe Nessie is a ghost of a dinosaur who has been regularly seen on the lock, but the spirit of the creature has been so exploited in recent years, I decided to carry out an exorcism, hence no sightings of the monster. The White Witch has vowed to return this summer to lift the spell and put Nessie back. Veteran spotter Gary Campbell of the official Loch Ness Monster Club keeps a register of sightings, but said no one had come forward in 18 months with proof they had seen the monster. He said it's very upsetting news and we don't know where she's gone. The number of sightings has been reducing since the turn of the century, but this is the first time in almost 90 years that Nessie wasn't seen at all. Isn't so, it, in a fun. Sorry, I was just going to say, isn't it bizarre that when we live in the modern world and everyone has a capability now of taking photographs and recording video footage on their cameras, iPhones, anything else you care to mention, the sightings have gone down. In theory, they should be going up because everyone now has the ability to uh, capture video footage and uh, various things. I find it very odd. I actually know what kind of dinosaur the Loch Ness Monster was. It's a, uh, do you think they saw us? (laughs) Collective (laughs) silence. No, I'm not going to give myself minus points. Have you got anything to add to that, Lorna? Have you uh, any thoughts on that or is there more of that? Well, yeah, I have another story then that says the Loch Ness Monster allegedly spotted off Australia's magnetic island. Oh, it's on vacation. That wasn't the giant S that was just (laughs) found off the coast of Australia, was it? Well, that could be. The eyes of the world turned to magnetic island Australia because of reports of a strange object in the seas that some suggest is the Loch Ness Monster, or a relative of it. Beachgoers first sighted what looked like a distinctive, long, curved neck bobbing up and down off the coast on October 25th, 2013, International Business Times reported. Some of the eyewitnesses immediately noticed a resemblance to Scotland's most famous cryptid, Nessie. Others believe the object is not necessarily the mythical monster and more likely the half-sunken hull of a boat. Spoil sports. A man named David Krusty Heron photographed what he has called Lost Nessie from nearly 600 feet away. It was bobbing up and down in the water, and at first I thought, what's that? Someone yelled out, it looks like a Loch Ness Monster, Heron said, according to the Australian. I've never seen anything like it. It could be anything. We are all wanting to know what it is. However, it was. Whatever it was, it's probably not the Loch Ness Monster, or even an animal, according to marine biologist Glenn Chilton, who suspected the so-called sea serpent was merely, was most likely a piece of tree or boat. Australian cryptozoologist said, Lost Nessie is most likely a dragon boat which sunk off the nearby city of Townsville earlier this month. 
He's keeping an open mind, though, especially since there have been at least a few sightings or reptilian creatures with long necks and football-shaped heads near Magnetic Island, most recently in October, according to Yahoo of Australia. It's probably so, yeah, a I think stool- Nessie just went on vacation. Or it's a stool sample. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you go to a whistle, no, if you go to the state fair, then at some point a week later, there's going to be a danger to shipping in Lake Superior, isn't there? Is what I'm saying. This is where we're going, but uh, it's odd that you should bring it's that where up. You're oh, going. Well, <laughs> it's where I'm going. Thinking. Everyone's coming with me because it's my show. <laughs> but uh, for for having two stories for the price of one, I shall give you a resplendent six points. But it's interesting you should mention that because I have a story about a sea serpent been in san francisco this week so this sea serpent is obviously getting around it must have a travel log i suspect or something that it's doing um, on holiday but this is it says forget bigfoot forget yeti and nessie san francisco is its own mysterious creature the san francisco sea serpent according to mysterious destinations magazine has been swimming through the bay since at least the 1800s and has been spotted lurking in the waters near marina green an artist's rendering of the sea serpent who definitely needs a name, by the way. It looks like an elongated eel with dorsal and pectoral fins. From a distance, one could say it resembles waves rolling into the bay. Well, I wonder if that's uh, waves rolling into the bay then. Now, it says it needs a name. So Nessie obviously is named after Loch Ness and gets the name Nessie from there. So uh, if any of our listeners have any idea about what we should call a sea monster that's currently in the Bay of San Francisco, Fran, springs to mind but if you can be more creative than that do shoot me a message at mqta at rocketmail.com or go to our facebook site at more questions than answers with adrian lee and you can suggest a name for our san francisco sea monster it says one of the other famous sightings of her happened on february the 5th in 1985 when according to mysterious destination the clark brothers were watching some sea lions out in the bay when suddenly they scattered and she appeared when it got within a few yards of the group of sea lions, it suddenly raised its head and a portion of its body, approximately 10 feet, went straight up out of the water and then it lunged towards the group of sea lions. Don't you just hate party crashes? So it goes on to say that it's actually a really good time of the year. If anyone's interested and they live in the San Francisco Bay area, it's a fabulous time apparently for spotting the San Francisco Bay sea monster because it likes the warmer bay waters that lure in from the wintry ocean you can tell this is in california can't you because here in the midwest they're still driving trucks across the ice and uh, here they are discussing warmer seawater out in the bay but you're absolutely right it's very interesting there's not been a report of nessie loch ness since uh, for the whole of 2013 and then in australia there's a radar image of what looks like a sea serpent and then there's one spotted off the coast of Australia, and now there's one in San Francisco. So it does appear that she may well be on her holidays. That brings the round to a fabulous end. Let's have a look at our scores. Greg, despite the fact that you chipped in there with some sonar, you're still on minus five. I'm on six. Kim is on three. Heather is on three. Lorna, you are sprinting ahead with a fabulous nine. But be sure by the end, I'm sure things will go down. We will move on resplendently now to the ad breaks. Just a few messages from our sponsors, so don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with the live paranormal news of the strange and the bizarre. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, 
but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Wake Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website at lapig.org. And they also have a fabulous Facebook site as well. If you go onto Facebook, you can type in Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and all the news of the UFO, Strange and Bizarre, will also be posted on there for your perusal. This is for people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night, frowns and end is perfectly normal. Now, Lorna, you are indeed the person who organises this and you are the creator of this particular group. Would you like to just explain what you're going to be doing and uh, where that's going to be and at what time for your next particular evening of UFOs, cryptozoology and all things paranormal? Our next meeting will be Monday, March 3rd. We meet the first Monday of every month. At, like you said, the American Legion in White Park, Minnesota. March 3rd, we're going to be watching a video, Who Are the Aliens? And it's a panel discussion from the International UFO Congress, which features five of the top UFO and abduction researchers of our time. And they are going to be telling their personal views on who the aliens are, where they're coming from, why they're here. And it's uh, very interesting because even though some of them are married to each other, their views differ widely. They must have separate bedrooms. <laughs> yes, they must be having different abduction experiences. Now, this is in the American Legion Club. It's in Wake Park. It starts at 7 and it finishes That's at 9. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot now as well. Can you tell me who you've got coming in April? Because I'm sure you're such a professional and you're so on, on top of everything that you do there. Who have you got in April as well, if our listeners fancy going to that in April? April 7th, we have Chad Lewis. He'll be there in person. He is a... Uh, investigator, uh, author, uh, presenter who has been working in this paranormal field for over 20 years investigating strange creatures, ghost sightings and things across the country particularly Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, the five state area and he is going to be presenting uh, his latest book The Van Meter Visitor and that actually is Van Meter, Iowa and in 1903, some very strange things took place in Van Meter, Iowa. And Chad and his crew wrote a book about it, and he will be in Lake Wake Park to give a presentation on that, April 7th. April 7th. Um, I've met Chad several times, and uh, he does great lectures. He has great um, PowerPoint presentations and slides. He's also quite famous for the uh, Minnesota and uh, Iowa and Wisconsin road trip books um what are they called remind me is it haunted haunted minnesota the road guide he's, yeah, he's he does right. the road guide yeah, series yeah, so right um, and unexplained that's it so our listeners our listeners will probably know him from that so you've got fabulous things coming up there and it's very reasonably priced to get in just give us an idea of how much that will cost um if we want four dollars four dollars per person and we serve coffee and cookies what else could you do for four dollars a person on a monday night that could be more important than that i ask <laughs> The Minnesota, you're laughing. Well, if you something come to mind, is it? <laughs> what are you doing with midgets in Norway on a Monday night that's going to cost you $4? The 
The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5 central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who's experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at MN mufon.org if you or your business would like to sponsor the show and contribute to the beast that is more questions than answers you are more than welcome to contact me you are listening to the only dedicated paranormal news radio show on the planet if not the universe so that makes you very lucky well-informed listeners indeed in the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions and answers. And the more I find out, the less I know, which means I'm probably less intelligent than when the show started. I'm your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania, for introducing the world to dirty hobo water, and sometimes the annoying inability to say abominable snowman live on air see i've been practicing mm-hmm. welcome back for the second part of tonight's show this is the part of the show that most people look forward to due to your letters and the notes that you very kindly write to me if you've just joined us then where have you been and what could have been more important if you have stayed with me then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have 50 percent of the show still to go hurrah and a happy dance all the way around the bedroom I've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies. I have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has now stopped snoring, although my dad is now coughing in the bathroom. So (laughs) onwards, we march. We move on to the round. That is bizarre and strange. Heather, I'm looking at you for the first story of our bizarre and strange round. What have you got for me tonight in the category of bizarre and strange? Nude man's trip to McDonald's doesn't go so well. Did you say nude? Nude. Barren. No he, clothes. Yet he's caught, caught a pounder with cheese on display. <laughs> he's chicken McNugget. No? Yes, yes. Keep going. He's filling a fish. Do you have more? I can't. I'm running out of products, to be honest. His French fry. He's Big Mac. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. As long as he doesn't have any yogurt. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> you shall receive... I don't... McDonald's doesn't do yogurt. What's wrong? Yes, they do. They have a yogurt parfait for a dollar. Oh, that sounds really healthy, doesn't it? That, that would be the healthy option. <laughs> That's the this is the McDonald's option. where there's more calories in the salad than there is in the Big Mac. Isn't there? <laughs> uh, maybe the oldest thing about this story is that naked people and their love of McDonald's actually shows up quite often in the news. A half-naked man stopped by the Maryland McDonald's earlier this month, and then another naked man, high on drugs, was arrested at California McDonald's late last year. And then there's the relevant 2012 story of a naked man who was lured down from the Los Angeles radio tower with a promise of food for McDonald's. Today, in Naked Man in McDonald's News, WBBM CBS Chicago is reporting an incident in the Windy City. WBBM writes that the unnamed man tried to enter a door leading to the food preparation area, approached the counter several times, and strutted around the entire floor amid screaming and laughter. I'm just trying to imagine a naked man in the Windy City. That's like a windsock, isn't it? Oh. That's kind of just... It's like when I went that time to uh, Mount Rushmore and I stayed in a hotel that had a water park and I whizzed, I whizzed around the chute and I come firing out the end and obviously I've put on a few pounds in this country more than I was 
when I was in Britain. And uh, obviously, the heavier you are, the more velocity you pick up as you're whizzing what your way down. What does that have down. to do with the windsock and you flapping around? Well, when I got to the bottom, my trunks came off. So as I hit the water at the bottom of this water chute, I can feel my trunks around my ankles. And there's a wave machine. So everything's kind of lolloping around. Like the wave machine was bringing it backwards and forwards. And I'm thinking of that. That's where I'm going. I, I'm not allowed back to that hotel again, actually. By the way, I'm banned from visiting anywhere <laughs> within a 15-mile radius of Mount Rushmore. Customers started to hit the nudist with a caution sign. <laughs> before <laughs> Wet floor. <laughs> before police arrived and calmed everyone down, CBS Chicago mentioned there's a video on LiveLeak, but they don't link to it, and I'm not really interested in watching it or linking to it myself. Sorry if you find that too disappointing. Why does McDonald's... Link to it themselves? Do, I don't know. Why does a McDonald's produce a hot dog, a McHot dog? Why is that? A McHot dog? A McHot dog. Well, what would you call it? I have no idea. Well, I'm just all of a sudden thinking, isn't one of their little kids' meals corn dogs? No. No, they don't have that. You haven't been there in a while, huh? Oh. McQueenies? McQueenies. <laughs> That's just a cold Scotsman. Kim, what have you got for me in the round of the bizarre and strange? Toast and butter used as weapons by woman who attacked her husband. <laughs> It's amazing how many people die from toast injuries every year. More than parachute accidents, I'm led to believe. You remember the other story? It was the frozen chicken. Yeah. Oh, yes, that was in... Yes. Was that Germany or, or Scandinavia? Oh, I don't remember. I do, yeah. There was, a, there was a woman who battered battered her husband to death with a frozen chicken. Yes. Absolutely right. How does one injure oneself with toast? This one is, toast and butter appear harmless to most people, except those who happen to be on a diet... That is, but as a woman by the name of Julie Evans recently proved, they can also be used as weapons. What's more, when in this capacity, they can actually get their wielder in trouble with the law. News from the UK says that a 45-year-old woman living in the town of Cinderford is now accused of having used toast and butter to assault her husband. This coming July, she is to make an appearance in court and defend herself against these charges. Evidently, the entire affair began one evening when Julie asked her husband James to do some chores. He pretended to sleep. He came home from work after being away, and he needed to work from home, but his wife kept asking him to do things for her. He fell asleep on the sofa. He has multiple sclerosis, and Mrs. Evans woke him by pouring water on him. Hope from the kettle. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, during breakfast, they once again got into a row. This time, Julie threw several pieces of toast at her husband (laughs) and also rubbed butter in his face. If he had been laying face down, he may well have caught one of those pieces of toast. (laughs) It's a toast rack. But for only one piece of toast. Would be useless if you had more than one piece of toast. Unless you had a series of people lined up naked. In which case, you could put your toast in there and park the bike as well. Well, and toast could really be serious depending upon, we've had this discussion before, how toasted is toast. Well, it, it needs to be better than warm bread. No, I mean, it doesn't. So you're yes. saying toast is just warm bread? It's, it needs to be toasty, crispy. It should still be squishy. You want your toast squishy, but the word toast, by its very definition, means it's going to be crunchy and crispy, surely. Not that crispy. We're, we're, we're going to fall <laughs> out here over how toasty mm-hmm. toast should be, but do continue, mm-hmm. Kim. Well, at one point, things escalated in the couple, who is now divorced ended up battling each other, and during this struggle, the man's ear nearly got torn off. That's some sharp (laughs) toast right there. Like a Death Star. 
The doctors needed to use as many as 13 stitches to set it back in its rightful place. <laughs> it's a shame they didn't miss and put it on his forehead because he could have had a wild frontier. Oh, not again. <laughs> what do you mean? That's the first time I've made a joke. That is too toasty. That's too toasty. <laughs> if it can take off an ear, it's too toasty. <laughs> Use a Rivita maybe or some Swedish toast would probably be quite sharp. <laughs> uh, Julie Evans has admitted to using toast and butter to assault her husband and also to pouring water over his head. Is that a salt and buttery? <laughs> oh no! I love this round. This point's being won everywhere. I love it. Only for you. Well, you feel free to be funny at any point. <laughs> um, she is maintaining, though, that she had nothing to do with James's ear getting torn off. It is against this assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, that Julie Evans must defend herself in court later this year. Well, there's many an argument to be had, I'm sure, over toast. That's a fabulous story. You shall have points in abundance for that. You're now on a very healthy six. It's interesting how many... By the way, when you said at the beginning he was pretending to be asleep so he didn't have to do the chores, this is what goes on in my parents' house. My mum will walk around my dad, and my dad will be sat there reading the newspaper. And my mum will be saying, well, you need to do the washing up tonight and make sure you put the garbage out because it's being collected in the morning. And my dad's still reading the newspaper. And my mum will say, you've not listened to a single word I've said, have you? And my dad puts his newspaper down and says, yes, you want me to do the washing up and you want me to take the garbage out. And then my mum goes off on one again. So that's quite, quite an interesting little scenario going on there. But it's interesting that all the stories we've had so far for the strange and bizarre round all contain the themes of food. And if Lorna doesn't come up with a food-related story in Strange and Bizarre, I shall give her minus three points. But how many people... <laughs> how, she's going to look through her stories now and pick out one. How many people went for a Valentine's Day romantic meal last weekend and ended up getting head? Cannibal restaurant with roasted head is on the menu. It's shut down by police. Police arrested 11 people and closed a restaurant after two human heads wrapped in cellophane were discovered at a hotel restaurant that had been serving human flesh. Well, two heads, of course, are better than one. At least they're following health and safety regulations. I mean, these were wrapped in cellophane and it was on the bottom shelf of the fridge. So they're following all of those things. A tip-off led police to the macabre discovery in Anambra, Nigeria. Everything happens in Nigeria. Goblins last week, wasn't it, if my mind goes back to <laughs> jumping out of suitcases in police stations, wasn't it? It says 11 people have been arrested and AK-47 guns and other weapons have been seized. Human flesh was apparently being sold as an expensive treat at the restaurant, with authorities saying that roasted human head was even on the menu. And of course, if you have a human head for your dinner and you can't manage it all in one sitting, you can take it home and use it as a pencil holder. It says, <laughs> when I went to the hotel early this year after eating, I was told that the meat being sold was human and I was surprised, said a pastor who had visited the eatery. What is this country turning into, he says. Can you imagine people selling human flesh as meat, he added. Seriously, I'm beginning to fear people in this part of the world. Another local added, I always noticed funny movements to be fair, if you'd eaten human head, you may have some strange and funny movements in and out of the hotel. Dirty people with dirty characters always coming into the hotel. So I was not surprised when the police made this discovery in the early hours of yesterday morning. This must be the only time you could ever say that that head is repeating on me. The worst thing about this story 
wouldn't it be terrible if you was given why if i said something funny you seem to have tears currently rolling down your eyes heather oh uh, no i was just thinking i wonder if they had a dirty mind <laughs> well, you, 20 minutes of eating and you may well find out the worst thing about this is if you ordered human head and then as it came up you actually recognized it you know isn't that dave that works in the photo department of walmart you know abby Abby normal abby normal i'll have the salad bar please (laughs) just a very strange and bizarre story that people would actually order that and it's actually on the menu when was the last time you had head meat, Greg, recently? Or no, not, I haven't tried no, it. Not tried not that, for okay. a really long time. Fair enough. Got a little tongue. <sighs> More tongue, Vicar. <laughs> Lorna, you have a story for us on the strange and bizarre. Is it food-related by any chance? Absolutely. Fantastic. You should have three points. You are now oh, on I was going to say, give me ten. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's, let's not prejudge it. Let's hear the story, and then we'll make a decision. How's that? <laughs> It even has toaster in it. Oh, wow. You've made a segue there, haven't you? Let's let's hear your toasting food-related story of the strange and bizarre. The mysterious Poe toaster did not surface for Edgar Allan Poe's 205th birthday. It used to be that each year on Edgar Allan Poe's birthday, a bescarved man in a wide-brimmed hat would leave three roses and a half-drunk bottle of cognac on the poet's grave in Baltimore. After a few recent no-shows, the tradition of the Poe Toaster was declared nevermore. But the origin story and the t- identity of the Poe Toaster remained something of a mystery. But over the course of the last several decades, Poe groupies would gather after midnight and stand outside the grounds of Westminster Cemetery. Poe's poems would be recited and revelers would drink a amontillado, the infamous wine that did in Fortunato, and wait for the fabled toaster to make his annual visit. Bearing a cane and wearing a cloak, the toaster would swoop in, leave a bottle of Martel cognac, arrange three roses the exact same way, and then steal away into the night. The visitor has occasionally left notes with his tributes, but they haven't offered much insight into the identity of the Poe toaster. A few indicated the tradition passed to a new generation before the original visitor's death in the 1990s, and some even mentioned the Iraq War and Baltimore Ravens football team, which was named for a Poe's poem. But most accounts, by most accounts, the tradition started in 1949, the centennial anniversary of Poe's death, and carried on until 2009, which was the poet's 200th birthday. But after three consecutive years without an appearance by the toaster, last year fans said the tradition would be nothing more than a dream within a dream. I see what you've done there. I was expecting a toaster. I thought for one moment there'd be a paranormal moment, you know, where this metallic square object just appeared and some toast appeared but you actually mean someone toasting a drink to uh that fabulous poet poe you shall receive points i don't think that deserves my a favorite poet your favorite poet yes he's my favorite poet I, I, yeah. there's no points to be had for eulogizing over your favorite poet but that is a fabulous story i didn't realize that poe died in very strange and mysterious circumstances um, until i did some reading about him recently he was found in a state of not knowing where he was or where he'd been. And I'm led mm-hmm. to believe that his hair was done very differently to how we would normally do it. And he was very confused and he was wearing different clothes that weren't recognisable or clothes that he would normally wear. And there was lots of uh, summation about what happened to him and how we ended up in that state. But I believe they thought that there was mobs that used to go around at the time and force people to vote for a particular politician or senator. 
and uh, they think he was press gained and was told to wear different clothes and told to wear his hair in a different way and so forth so he could vote different times um, for the same politician back in the day but uh, whether that's true or not remains to be seen but he did die in very mysterious circumstances that leads us fabulously to the very last round of the evening the one we all look forward to the one where you need to take your mother out of the room if there's any small children or people that are easily offended then they need to be removed from the room heather i am looking at you first what have you got for me in the round not for your mother florida man murdered roommate over a chicken foot (laughs) that's right wow yeah florida man apparently beat his roommate to death after the roommate got mad at him for taking a chicken foot from him what was he doing with it? Was he looking to eat it? Or I think he, he was going to eat it. He was going to eat it, yeah. so he was taking his chicken for Tampa away. police have given a few details on how exactly the victim died, but an autopsy revealed the victim suffered internal bleeding from numerous blows to the face and neck. Do Tampa police tamper with evidence? Is that something that's possible? <laughs> You're no, terrible just tonight. voting. Just voting, fair <laughs> enough. A little bit of politics there, ladies and gentlemen. That is satire for the first time. Bearing in mind this is our 14th episode, we've decided to reach the realms of satire. <laughs> Kim, that's a resplendent joke, which you'll receive points for. At least one eyewitness says the victim was beaten with a board. Police say that 52-year-old James Jugo admitted to them that he beat up his roommate, 56-year-old Benjamin Calderon, after the two had an argument about a chicken foot at their home. According to police, Calderon had been cooking food and become angry when Jugo took the chicken foot from the frying pan. The two men fought over the supposed stolen chicken foot, and the argument eventually came up again later in the day. That's when Jugo says he beat Calderon, though it's unclear if the man died immediately from his wounds or not. Benjamin Calderon leaves behind a grieving family filled with questions, including his mother and children. He also leaves behind his sister and two brothers, including his brother Bolivar, who seemed to recap the whole sad and weird affair when he said... No one deserves to die over a chicken foot. It is ridiculous the lengths people will go to. And you're absolutely right. To die over the argument of a chicken foot, it seems seems ridiculous. And where was the other one? Surely most chickens have two feet. <laughs> Who eats chicken feet? Dick. Well, oriental really? people do. Yeah, you tend to find if you go to Chinatown, it's actually quite a delicacy, actually. Are they, so they're sacred or something? They're not sacred. I mean, obviously, it's a cheap cut of meat, but they are fried and cooked, and it is something I've eaten before. There's lots of chicken feet. Well, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, it, it couldn't. It, it couldn't. had no feet. Just, <laughs> the chicken crossed the road to prove to the raccoon it was actually possible, I believe. But uh, that is a strange... I mean, what a ridiculous way to die. I mean, of all the things we've discussed tonight in terms of throwing toast at one another and <laughs> chicken's feet, the only reason... When I was a child, you could go into the local butcher's shop and ask for a chicken foot and they just give them to you because they get thrown away um, most times in Britain but oh. what you could do is then go up to your friends and if you pulled the tendons you could make the claw did you the do foot that go, who me I was a good little boy you made it. puppets out of them I've heard I made stories puppets out of roadkill because my family was so poor so I'd get a ball of string and a dead badger and go for that but yeah I didn't I don't recall making anything from a chicken's foot Perhaps I should ask my mother. We'll get her live on air. In actual fact, she's still snoring next door, so we're not going to get anything from my mother at all, in actual fact. <laughs> Kim, 
what have you got for me tonight you are on the verge of uh, grabbing victory here so points would be very beneficial for you at this late juncture we are going to go back to nigeria what is it with nigeria this is lawless lagos isn't it nigeria yes it seems like a it seems like a lawless society this is almost like living in iowa it's remarkable they have a law for this evidently dog charged with assault for biting a bank worker's penis oh who let that dog in here have you got the sound of a penis greg out of interest (laughs) he's looking for one why you're looking for the sound of a penis the end result. <laughs> That's the end result. Okay, so we've got a dog. I mean, you'd want something to take away the pain but keep the swelling, wouldn't you? <laughs> Just because you're on minus five, Greg, doesn't mean you can jump in randomly now and start providing. <laughs> wow. You'd really know who your friends are, wouldn't you, if you had you to? Would. Yeah, this, is, this isn't good. Wait till you hear what all happened. Oh, oh man! Um, the dog's owner, thirty-one-year-old Ada Bawali Gabriel, was charged with negligence. The victim, Simon Anwam, filed a criminal complaint after the dog allegedly pounced on him and inflicted deep injury on his penis while he was walking on the street. Didn't he have a pair of trousers on? What was he doing? <laughs> was he going to McDonald's or something? Maybe he had one of those little sling things on. Oh, like a thong or something. Like yeah. A, yeah. I, I've been to the sports shop and bought a hammock before. <laughs> <laughs> Anwam was coming home from work when he encountered Gabriel and the dog. According to police, Anwam was surprised when the jo- dog jumped on him and bit his penis before he could be rescued from it. Following the attack, Anwam began to have trouble urinating and would bleed while attempting to go to the bathroom. Oh. He well, eventually began using a pipe to urinate. A pipe? That's well, I would what imagine it says. If, it's, if it's been chewed a few times, it's going to be like a watering can, oh. isn't it? I'm just saying. I mean, don't look at me like that. I'm just saying just that, you know, tape. if wow. it's been chewed a couple of times by the local dog, then obviously, you know, when you're going, it, it, there's the potential there, isn't there? This is why you put that strange matting, the fluff around a toilet. I mean, oh, I thought you were going to say around your penis. <laughs> don't, don't you have fluff around your penis? I was waiting to hear the end of this, yes. No, I mean, seriously, the, the thing you put around the, the basin of a toilet is just your a... penis? It's a wee rag, isn't it, is what it is. I mean, it's basically a wee rag. It's mopping up wee, you know, oh, from... You're not supposed to get any on that. Is that why it's so stinky all the time? Yes. Because men pee on it? Yes. Did they you not know this? They can't make it in the hole? Well, it depends how far away you are from the basin. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm just a few inches away from the basin, but some people like Greg, you know, the, in, in cold environments, you know, are standing quite a long distance away from the bowl, and there's many a slip, twixt cup and lip, and it's a wee rag. It mops up the wee. Do you know how they train little boys to go potty in the toilet? They uh, put Cheerios in there to give them something to aim for. Well, I can't eat soggy Cheerios. I prefer them <laughs> crunchy. <laughs> Gross. It's it's a wee rag, so uh, this is where we are. Wee rag. Oh, man, that poor dog. You say the dog actually got charged by Yes, it, it, it ended up not going into court. They settled out of court, and the medical bills were paid. Oh, so, <laughs> so the dog had to pay for its medical bills? Yes. He's huh. only half the man he used to be. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I still don't understand how you're out walking your dog, okay, and your twig and berries is hanging out. I mean, is that... Is that normal? I have to say, when I was in Berlin, 
many years ago. You had your twig and berries out. Yes, and I can't go back to Germany again because <laughs> there's an extradition order in place. No, I went to a park, and uh, this may have been Munich, actually. I, I, I need to look this up. It was a long time ago. I was 21. But there is a park called the English Garden, and uh, I didn't realise it was a nudist park. So I'm walking along, you know, full of the joys of I was of close, spring. wasn't I? Yes, you were. Mm. And uh, I remember two very busty German women coming towards me, and uh, they asked if I had a light for a cigarette, because obviously they didn't have a place to put a lighter. And uh, it's the one time in my life I wish I smoked. But uh, there you go. You know, that would be an occasion, I guess, where you're walking your dog and you're naked. Points to be had all round. I'm liking that. I shall give you a hefty three. And that places you on 12. I shall jump in at this point. Again, this is the round not for your mother. The headline reads, Ex-Con wins $18,607 in rectal thermometer lawsuit. That does seem like a random figure, doesn't it? Eighteen thousand six hundred and seven dollars. Yes. It couldn't be six hundred and eight. It couldn't be six hundred and six. It had to be six hundred and seven. A judge has ordered a Montreal hospital to pay an ex-con eighteen thousand six hundred and seven dollars after his temperature was taken with a rectal thermometer while he was handcuffed to the bed. You normally have to pay for that. I'm led to believe. <laughs> the judgment, however, fell far short of the two hundred thousand dollars John Bashara had sought after claiming he had been violated. In September 2006, Bashar was serving time in the North End Bordeaux jail for robbery. He ingested what he thought was methadone, part of a treatment for heroin addiction, court documents say. In fact, he had mistakenly swallowed another inmate's meds, which landed him in hospital. On the second night, as the inmate lay cuffed to the bed, a male nurse entered and Bashara became aggressive, the court ruling says. Correctional officers held Bashara down, and the nurse took his temperature. You wouldn't want to get the thermometer in the next ward next, would you? The judge ruled Bashara hadn't been sexually assaulted, but he still deserved compensation because he was probed without his consent. A legal precedent set there for any extraterrestrials anywhere in the world, I fear. Lorna, you may be well the person to ask... (laughs) this particular question but bearing in mind extraterrestrials can travel vast distances across the universe using technology way beyond anything we could possibly imagine why do aliens need to probe in places where they shouldn't be probing what what could possibly an alien get from probing one's bottom when they've traveled vast distances Wow. And I'll have my thermometer back as well, if you don't mind, and wipe it on your sleeve. So, Lorna, why, why, is, why is aliens and probing? Why, what would they need to probe you for when they've got the technology to travel vast distances and to... Uh, why would they need to do that? I don't understand. How many people have actually claimed to have been probed? That's um, just a myth. Is it a myth? This is an urban legend, is it? There's no one that's actually you know, not being able to ride a bike for two weeks because an alien came down and took them out of their bedroom. This is all... This, you, can't, you can't remember a single case where someone was uh, intimately probed and they hadn't even been bought dinner or been taken to the cinema. Well, not anally probed. I'm disappointed. Make it up. Tell me something, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a myth, is it? Well, I will tell you a story very quickly. I've got a friend who's a chauffeur. He actually lives in London and uh, he was the chauffeur to Kate Moss at one time 
um, if you recall the uh, supermodel and he had ingrown toenails and he had to be operated on so he went into the hospital and he's lying in a hospital bed and he's about to have his uh, ingrown toenails operated on and the doctor came into the room wearing a white coat and a stethoscope and said to this I'm not going to give his name away but uh, he said to this particular individual what I will say is this guy is a really large black fella he's you know 350 pounds and of African descent so that gives you a picture of things I guess but um, this particular doctor said to my friend he said uh, how old are you and he said well I'm you know early 40s and this particular doctor said well while you're here we better check your prostate because you know if you've never had a prostate check it kills one in three men you need a prostate check so he got my friend to lay on his side and uh, he uh, investigated his prostate and left and said everything was fine Ten minutes later, another doctor came in the room and started to discuss with my friend his operation and his ingrown toenail. And uh, my friend said, that was very odd of that doctor to come in here and check my prostate. And the doctor said, well, that shouldn't have happened. There's no one in here that would do that. And so my friend described what the doctor looked like. And the doctor that was there said he didn't recognize that person. And what they reckon happened was a person randomly walked in off the street with a white coat on stuck his finger up my friend's bottom um, for enjoyment and relief and left again. And uh, my friend hasn't been in for an ingrown toenail operation. What did you do with that white coat? Since. <laughs> well, actually, I, I went into the car park, got a branch and took a run up. So uh, I had the last laugh, didn't I? And the bird in the nest was as surprised as I was. But I just thought that's quite scary. Just because someone is wearing a white coat, ladies and gentlemen, does not mean that they are, in fact, a doctor. Lorna, you are tired at the moment for first place. So at any point at this moment in time, and you shall race into the lead in the final round. What have you got for me in the round of Not For Your Mother? ESP is put to the test. Can you foretell the results? Ooh. It's just hokum, say researchers who offer new experiment as proof. The phone rings. You see the caller ID. Pick it up and say, wow, I was just heading to the phone to call you. Or you close your eyes and wish as hard as you can as the batter swings and then he hits it out of the park. Or you have the uneasy feeling all day about your son. He comes home with a broken thumb and you say, thank goodness, I thought you were going to break your arm. Did you telepathically signal your friend to call? Did your thoughts generate a home run? Did you get a glimpse of your son's future pain? Do you have extrasensory perception? Does anyone? Not that anyone who believes in ESP will believe it, but a study published January 13 on an online peer-reviewed journal came up with an answer, a resounding no. Piers Howe and Margaret Webb, both at the University of Melbourne, Australia, showed 48 volunteers a pair of photographs of people a split second apart, some of which had minor changes, a haircut, the addition of red lipstick, etc., and some of which were identical. The volunteers consistently detected that there was a change but could not say what the change was. From their perspective, they were able to sense changes they could not see. We had induced the impression of a sixth sense, said Howe, but the sixth sense doesn't exist. It's simply a matter of detecting a change we are unable to verbalize. For decades, others have attempted to examine ESP, a term that embraces phenomena from telepathy to clairvoyance. Two experiments, here are two experiments, one of the earliest and one of the most recent. Okay, the first widespread experiment for ESP was the uh, the card research which was uh, done in Boston Society for Psychic Research in 1934. The researchers were presented a shuffle deck of cards with pictures of 
Across a circle, a wavy line, a square, or a star. I can't remember so, what those deck of cards are called. They've got a special name, haven't they? I'm trying to remember. Cres- I called it Kreskin ZSP. That's probably <laughs> where it is. Game, that's the game I had when I was a kid that had them on. <laughs> They've got a special name, and for the life of me, it's not there, and I could spend the next oh, hour sat yeah. here ruminating on that, and I can't remember. But what I will say is that's the beginning. If people recall, that's what happened on Ghostbusters, isn't it, where he's in the room and he's giving electric shocks to the gentleman and every time the blonde comes up with an answer, you know, he's eulogising and that's the, the deck of cards they're using. What was the second one then, um, Lorna? Well, each deck had 25 cards. Chance alone would predict five correct answers in one experiment. 2,400 guesses were made, 489 which were correct, more than twice as many as would be by chance. So the skeptics say that the subjects were cheating and sloppiness by the researchers. Right. ESP believers say, well, that statistical probability of the results is roughly a million to one, so something unknown is going on. Now, the second most recent study was done in 2011 by at Cornell University, Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and this triggered an outrage in the psychological community. The methodology, they conducted nine experiments involving a thousand subjects, and some subjects were shown two computer images of curtains and told that behind one of the curtains was an image, behind the other a blank screen. They were to click on the curtain they believed covered the image. In some tests, the images were softcore pornography. The volunteers were warned ahead of time if they, were, if they objected to such images, they should not participate in the study. In other tests, the images were non-erotic. For each click, they had a 50-50 chance of being correct. When the images were non-erotic, the results were close to chance, 49.8%. But the subjects correctly located the pornographic images 53.1% of the time. Well, there's more Other carrot tests- than stick there, isn't there? That's the carrot and stick <laughs> theory. And at that point, you're getting more carrot than stick, aren't you, I'm suggesting? Other tests checked the volunteers' memories lists of words. So the skeptics said, well... Um, Nobody's been able to reproduce those results, and the ESP believers, of course, say some people agree with Brem's law that the conclusion of his paper, where he wished that psychologists would be more open to considering impossible things. Researchers will continue to attempt to use scientific methods to prove or disprove reincarnation, crop circles, or whatever anyone can predict the future. To this, a 2005 Gallup poll found that about three out of four Americans subscribe to at least one paranormal belief, such as ESP haunted houses or, tepo- or telepathy. It seems that when it comes to a sixth sense, what we know for sure is that people will believe exactly what they want to believe. So why did they choose the pornography? Why did they get that correct more often? Um, Well, if you've got a room full of men and you're told that behind one of the cards is pornography, they're going to focus their minds, aren't they, more than if it was just a cross or a wavy line or a circle. So as I mentioned before, more carrot than stick the interesting thing is that in the first survey there's a human element taking part because if they have cards um, I'm assuming that the person doing the test can see the card in front of them so by default the person who's trying to guess the card isn't just focusing on the card but is focusing on the person's mind who can see the card so you're reading the person's mind in effect the problem with having computer related imagery is you take out the human element don't you well whose mind are you reading to look at an image on a computer because the computer is an inanimate object if the card is being specifically put down in front of you by a human then you have the opportunity to read the human's mind as a psychic myself i would find it impossible to be able to 
delineate between what a computer's giving me. But if a human has picked out the eight of hearts from a deck of cards, I then have the possibility of getting in there and seeing what they've got in their mind, which is going to say to me the eight of hearts. And it's also possible for me and other psychics, of course, to work out if that's being blocked or if they're trying to give me false information. So you're removing the human element, aren't you, by by putting computer imagery up? Right, because if the person looking at the card, the star, the circle, eight of hearts, whatever, that person is looking at it and is supposed to be transmitting that idea. That's right, whereas I've got no way of finding out. So it's two people working on that problem, if you will, instead of one. Absolutely. Yeah, with the computer, but they came on almost better with the computer with the 54%, you know, versus 39 or 49 so, so it's actually yeah, came out in support. It's came out into support that ESP actually exists. Is what you're saying? It just needs to have um, gratuitous. Even though they're saying that it came out and said that it didn't, in actuality, they proved that it did. They proved that it did. Well, all it takes is copious amounts of pornography. Apparently, I shall give you half a point for that story because what half a point? And that's the first time in the history of more questions and answers that I have not had a full integer. But what that allows you to do is take. A resounding lead. So all good things come to an end. So let us look finally at tonight's scores. Greg, you are the broken K2 meter with the dead battery and the flickering light, primarily for muting my microphone early on and uh, for playing radar signs over and over again. So minus five for Greg. I'm sure he'll survive. Kim, you are in second place. I am in third place. Heather, you're in fourth place with five points. Kim had 12. I had nine. Lorna, you are... The winner with 12 and a half points, half a point more than Kim received. What does it feel like to be the winner on your first ever show? You must be beside yourself with elation and emotion. I wish I had an Olympic gold medal to hang around your neck at this moment in time. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I can almost hear the stars and stripes playing in the background. He knows that I control the photos and things that go onto the website (laughs) i am aware that i need to keep you on my good side of course there's always an ulterior motive so do not fear listener remember i am back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time and i would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of pornography um, dogs biting testicles and all manner of strange and bizarre things involving death by toast and having ears falling off. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee, where all of tonight's stories are there for you to look at. Or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail.com. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Yaton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore, and all of the International Paranormal Society, intparanormal.net, and all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group, MUFON of Minnesota, Cactus Tattoos of Mankato, and Rhapsody Music. It all remains for me to say thank you for listening, and remember, be interested and interesting. Good night.